ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that Stephanie Meyer and J.M. Barry both don't want you to hear. It's Monkeys and Playbills. I'm sorry, what, okay. Why would Stephanie Meyer not want to hear this podcast? Because Stephanie Meyer wrote a book, a series of books, about a immortal being who's hundreds of years old who falls in love with a high school kid <laughs> and it's um, a little weird and a little creepy but it's become beloved all over the world <laughs> i see but so did Anne rice technically wrote an okay anyway this ladies is, and gentlemen okay. <laughs> welcome to the podcast that stephanie meyer and rice and jm barry all don't want you to hear it's monkeys and playbills y'all oh, that's paul de Gers. that's jillian willems as always, in the studio, in the digital studio, we have the incredible producer Daphne running the board. And also, I'm very pleased to announce we have an incredible guest with us today. You've probably already heard her giggling a little bit. It's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. thing. Katie German is a actor, director, producer, theater administrator. She just crushes it left and right. You can see her directing work at MTC. She did a project with Nightwood, Native Theater, and New Harlem Productions recently. She's performed at MTYP and Rainbow Stage. She's just the shit. Katie, welcome here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am beyond oh, yeah. thrilled to have you here because we've known each other for so long, but it's very rare that we get to actually have the opportunity to talk about a musical in this in-depth way. Yep. So I'm so excited that we get to do this with you. I'm excited it's this musical as well. <laughs> so well, hold on, let's sl slow down for a second, guys. We're going to be talking about a musical? What are we doing here? Oh yeah, Paul, We're tell us, what is this show about? Yeah. Oh, I remember now. This is the show where we discuss musicals that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway. And what the heck happened? And today, we're looking at Tuck Everlasting. I love this show. I'm not going <laughs> to oh, lie. I love right. this show. Starting off with a bang. I've got a lot to say about this show. <laughs> I think this is going to be very interesting because I'm, I'm not sure if I love this show. This show has a lot of merit. <laughs> and I'll just get it right out of the way straight away. The whole, the, just the fundamental concept of Tuck Everlasting weirds me out. And I, <laughs> that, that's maybe the biggest thing that's going to hold me back in this whole episode. But we'll get into that. I can't wait. Previews began at the Broadhurst Theatre on March 31st, 2016. It opened on April 26th, 2016, and closed on May 29th, 2016, after 28 previews and 39 performances. That's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. So Tuck Everlasting. Did any of you have a relationship with this story before the musical? Yep. Yes. Okay. Jill first, then Katie. What was your relationship with this story? Uh, I had a really beautifully amazing teacher in junior high, Mrs. Nelson. And um, she read a lot of books to us. And this was one that she read to us. And she was also one of the teachers who like, like, she called me melodramatic from, a, like, the moment I was in her class. And I think she identified just who I was to my core. And so I think I connect with her a lot. And then because she read it to us, it's, like, a very special book to me. Because being read to is amazing. But also being read to by someone that, like, 
kind of like can tell who you are as a person just feels like really special. So I was very connected to this book. Um, And also when you're 13 and you're dealing with like this subject matter, this question, which we'll get into, but this big existential question, I think it's a really nice way to introduce this concept of time to to a, a kid of 12 or 13. Totally. Because mm-hmm. it's a, that's right. It's a super popular, like, classic YA novel. That's like, right. Similar yeah. to, um, like, Bridge to Terabithia or something. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> like, I, I meant, I meant <laughs> similar as in, like, another thing, another thing, another thing you would read when you were 10 or 11. Yes. Right. Okay, Katie, what's your, um, what's your relationship with Tuck Everlasting? Okay, my parents used to, um, at the end of school, to celebrate the end of school, my beautiful parents used to buy us a set of books because we'd usually like go to the cabin or we'd go like on a road trip or something in the summer. Yeah. And so we would have books to read in the car because we didn't have DVD players back in the day. Yes. And so yep. DVD players, because that's a thing. But we, <laughs> we um, this was one of the books and so was Bridge to Terabithia. And I remember reading these books in the back of my van with no air conditioning and like sobbing because yeah. I would <laughs> yeah. be reading these books by myself and my my mom's like, you okay back there? And I remember reading no, this one specifically no. and being like, this is so sad. <laughs> That's my experience with this this book, which I think is why I actually like it. I don't think I like the show for the show. I think totally. I like the show for the memories. <laughs> yep. Because I don't I don't have a pre-existing relationship with Tuck Everlasting. Mm. Um, I had similar experiences to both of you with other books. Right. But Tuck Everlasting never entered into my circle specifically. So I don't have a previous relationship with Tuck Everlasting. I read um, a bunch of other books uh, in the YA category or had them read to me by teachers or something. I had Brishatera Bithia. had this bizarre book called The Ringer when I was in grade five. It was, about this, it was about this town where all the kids go to a fair and they ring birds' necks. I Wh- swear to God, this exists. What? I swear to God. What? Yeah. And this kid doesn't want to ring birds' necks. Why? Wait, why not? Yeah. It's like, because yeah, because he has a pet bird. He has a secret pet oh. bird, but everyone in this town hates birds. The Giver is another YA one that's very bizarre. Totally. Yeah. But I remember Tuck Everlasting because a movie came out in like the early 2000s. That's right. It was like a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. I never watched it. I refused. I, I don't think you missed anything, Jillian. I think I tried okay. to watch it as a kid and was disappointed. <laughs> I don't think I got to the end of it. I was like, this isn't okay. it. That's good to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm glad then that I didn't... Um, watch it, especially before watching the musical. I think it's good yeah. to not have had my, that my, my experience with that tainted. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> so as children, we had books about birds dying and we had books about kids dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this falls into the kids dying category. Mm-hmm. Does it? Along with... I mean... Well, yeah, because Winnie... Or spoiler alert. Maybe we should get into the plot. So here at Monkeys and Playbills... We like to play a game. Just kidding. I like to play a game and make Paul <laughs> do this exercise with our guest. The exercise is the following. Together, Katie, you and Paul will try to synopsize the musical Tuck Everlasting. Okay, but point, point of order. I feel like this isn't fair because Katie's on. One of the reasons we have Katie on this episode specifically is because the company that she runs... She runs an incredible youth musical theater company in Winnipeg called JMTC, the Junior Musical Theater Company. Mm-hmm. Incredible program, doing incredible work. And one season, you produced the Canadian premiere of this musical? Yeah! That's incredible. 
So you've directed this piece. You've lived with this piece. You've yeah. directed a whole bunch of 17-year-olds in this piece. And like and like 12-year-olds and yeah. Exactly. So you can you can synopsize this pretty well. I mean, I it was a couple years ago. I could give you like a quick one second line and I could give you like a more detailed one. Give us one line. What's Tuck Everlasting about? A girl has to decide whether she wants to live forever after she meets a family that can. Yeah. Hey, that's great. <laughs> that's absolutely it. What a crazy thing for a children's book and then a musical to be based on. <laughs> well, who who has never thought? I wonder if I could live forever. Right. My my five-year-old literally yesterday, I was like, if you could wish for anything in the world, what would it be? And he said, I wish that you and dad could live forever. Aww. And me as an adult, yeah, aw. Except for I'm like, wait a minute, that would suck. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but you know how this play goes. Exactly. Okay, let's go from the top. We start with a um, with a stage. Yes, we do start with a stage. As is typical of musicals, yep, there's usually a stage involved. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet a bunch of characters very quickly. Yes. Yep. Um, we meet Winnie. Winnie is precocious. Winnie is tired of being a good girl. Mm-hmm. Winnie is tired of doing what she's told. She longs for something more. But her mom is like, no, I don't want you to do things. Right. And her grandma's like, do them. Yeah. And grandma's like, do them. Yeah. As grandmas do. Yep. We also meet Ma Tuck. Do we meet all the Tucks or just Ma Tuck in the opening? All the Tucks. We meet all the Tucks. That they're all coming back together, I think, right? After a long absence. This is their time. Yeah. Yeah. So we meet all the Tucks. They're all coming back together. We meet a man in a yellow suit. He's played by Broadway legend Terrence Mann. We'll get into that later, but wow. And this is all accompanied by, there's a lot of fog on the stage. There's lots of vines and um, kind of foresty. Mm-hmm. And there's people dressed like they're from like the horror movie Midsummer, But they're all oh, strutting around the stage. Yes. They're just yes. strutting. Yeah. <laughs> so with. <laughs> there's also a tree. There's a tree. That's very important. Very important. There's absolutely yeah. a tree. Yeah. It's a big old tree. This is actually, this tree is a permanent installation in this theater. It's the same theater where Parade happened. It's the same <laughs> theater where. that. <laughs> It's not. That's a joke. That's another show with a big tree. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go to Winnie's house where we get to hear that Winnie's unhappy and her mom's like, don't do things. Mm -hmm. And her grandma's like, do things. Winnie wants to go to the fair. So Winnie sings a song about how she doesn't want to be a good girl anymore. Yep. And then she leaves. She bails. She goes. She goes yeah, out the front she door. Runs. She runs away because there's a parade. That no, because the parade comes by her yes. house. The parade comes by the her parade house. Parade just marches yeah. by. <laughs> Absolutely, they strut by. <laughs> she finds her way into the forest, and she meets a tiny boy, a tiny man, Jesse, named Jesse. He's tiny. He's not not but five five feet three inches high. I looked it up yesterday. How tall Andrew Keenan Bolger is? Is he that? My that's height. my height. I'm five two. What does that make me? <laughs> all three, all the three of the other, and so is producer Daff. That's so funny. <laughs> so like average height yeah, then. Yes. Like, what a boy. Yeah. Hey, you want to go harder on that tiny man thing there, Degers? You want to go? <laughs> she, she meets a very respectably sized man. Yeah. <laughs> named yeah. Jesse yeah. Tuck. Average one. Average, might say. average one. Yes. Might say. <laughs> um, and Jesse Tuck is very precocious. He's got a little bit of whimsy and a little bit of mischief in his eyes. Yes. And his hair. And his hair. He's his got hair. mischief all mischief up in his hair. In his yeah. hair. <laughs> he's got mischief hair. <laughs> that hair is all up to no good. He shows her around the forest slash 
like jungle. It's a forest, not a jungle, but sure, around the forest. <laughs> it's definitely a forest. I think the jungle vines are just the leaves. <laughs> right. Yes. That makes oh, sense. Oh, yes. <laughs> and takes her let's, up. Let's earmark that for later for the design conversation. <laughs> jungle or forest? <laughs> <laughs> so he takes her up to the top of this tree, right? And he sings a song. He sings a, a, um, a breakaway pop hit called At the Top of the World. And... The reason why is because he's trying to get her away from the stream that he just drank from because she was thirsty because she was running in the woods. He drank from yes. a stream and she's like, I'm thirsty. And he's like, no, let's go look at the top of the tree. Right. He's yes. like, you shouldn't drink from that tree, from that stream. That would be bad. And we're yep. like, the audience, because we don't know anything. We're like, oh, is it poisoned? Does the water yeah. taste bad? Is it? Yeah. We don't know. There's a breakout scene where uh, Winnie's mom realizes that Winnie's not there and yeah. calls her buddy Constable. Constable comes and uh, says that uh, that him and, and his little sidekick Hugo are going to help find Winnie for them. And it's very important yes. to this story. The Constable is very dumb and his little sidekick is very smart. And I love them together. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of a they're kind of a, a wacky team where the, yeah. Yeah. The, the, sheriff, the sheriff or whatever, the Constable is dumb but thinks he's smart and the deputy is actually smart. Yeah, it's yeah. the vaudeville yeah. duo. It's a vaudeville, it's classic yes. stuff. Yes. Okay, so then we go to the Tuck's house where we meet the rest of the Tucks. We meet Pa Tuck. We meet older brother Miles. Miles? Miles. We meet Carolee Carmelo's wig. Ooh. We meet everyone. <laughs> I might have buried the lead at this point. Ma Tuck is played by the incredible Carolee Carmelo. The unstoppable I mean, Carolee Carmelo. Have we talked about anyone more? Oh. <laughs> Carolee Carmelo in this show as always is a delight i will say that right yep. now i'm not i can't Try save that for the cast she's just <laughs> absurd so they chat for a bit and they reveal very quickly that they as a family are not only immortal but indestructible yes they cannot be killed by anything and how do we discover that again they just say it I think she wants to drink from the stream again doesn't she and then he, sure. he makes a deal about it and then he he tells yeah, oh. that sounds right. Oh, that's yeah. right. Because he tells yeah. uh, Andrew Keenan Bolger, what's his character's name again? Jesse. Jesse, thank you. So Jesse tells, but d his family doesn't want him to, or his brother doesn't want him to? Yeah, and then they just kind of like give up very quickly about like, well, she already knows, mm -hmm. so let's just tell her the whole story. Fill around Keep the whole her. deal. Miles and Jesse kidnap Winnie together. Right. But before that, they sing a song where they actually talk about how, as a family, they all accidentally drank from this stream and then discovered, oh, wait, now we're immortal and we are indestructible because there's one point where Jesse's like, you could literally shoot me with a gun and I wouldn't die. Yes. Um, yeah. So they're actual superheroes and this somehow doesn't become like the Incredibles. No. Because they should be off fighting crime. I think it has to do with the fact that it's old timey and crime back then was um, like stealing horses and people didn't care as much. Oh, right. good point. So, so yeah, so then... The two Tuck boys, those mother Tuckers, kidnap uh, Winnie, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, that was one. Oh, that was one. Sure one of three in this episode. I was going to say. Count them all, then send in your ballot and you get a prize for Monkeys and Playbills. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> count them all. I just told you there was three. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Paul. They kidnap her in something because they find their way to the fair. Well, that comes after they kidnap her and they take her to the house. And then, like most families do, yeah. they say, sleep over. Right. And yeah. we'll take you back in the morning. <laughs> and, and so they, they end up putting them in the attic, um, Winnie and Jesse. And then Winnie and Jesse decide that the attic's no fun and they want to sneak out. And they sneak out. And it's very important. 
Winnie ends up dressed in, um, in boy clothes. They dress her up in disguise and um, they go to the fair. Winnie doesn't want to get recognized, so that's why she dresses up. That was my impression yeah. as well. Yeah, she doesn't want to get discovered because yeah. she knows a bunch of people she knows will be at the fair. So they go to the fair. There's a lot of strutting at the fair as well. The oh, people yeah. who have been strutting in the parade or who are strutting in like as Midsummer are now strutting at the fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the yellow man, the man in the yellow suit, hears a song somehow. Hears this old old song and deduces that the tucks are immortal. There's a music box, and whenever he hears this tune, he hears it in the forest. And because um, the mom has a music box. Right, and she right. only plays it um, at certain points, and she plays it in the the woods, and that's how the man in the yellow hat yeah. hears it, and is like, "They're here. I'm gonna look for them." Point of order: Isn't the man in the yellow hat? I'm curious, George. That is correct. Yes. Yep. Isn't it the man? The man in the yellow suit is what we want, right? The- <laughs> yeah, he does also wear a yellow hat. <laughs> Very so. good. He does. He really does. The other thing that I remember happening because the yellow, the man in the yellow outfit. <laughs> Full head to toe. Yeah. <laughs> evil, the evil banana. <laughs> he is a an age guesser. Like he guesses, yes. like yes. knows people's ages, and he has a specific like checklist basically that he uses. This is again my understanding of this. Like he's part of yeah. the carnival. Yes, and so he has this you know checklist that he goes down shoe size height right. blah 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 and looks into Jesse's eyes and sees that something is off and I guess sees the the wisdom and the age in the eyes and then that coupled with the sound from the music box it's like bam I know what's happening. It's still even with that in mind that's a bit of a leap for me but that's okay we'll get I to know that. I know it is yeah. <laughs> so then we get we're we're away from the we're away from the fair. Jesse knows that the man in the yellow um, pants knows. <laughs> yeah, because because yeah. he tries to catch him. Right. Because he calls yes. him out and he pulls a knife on him. Right. Mm. Right? Like after everything kind of settles down, it gets a little chill and they're just hanging out at the end of the carnival that's turning right. or the fair that's starting to like go down for the night. And then he starts going and questioning Jesse and tries to um, age guess him again. And then he pulls a knife on him and he, he spills the beans and says that he knows what's going down. Because, but then we find our way back to the forest and Jesse says to Winnie, Winnie, you're 11, I'm 17. He sings a song, but you should wait another six years until you're 17. Then you should drink from the spring so you'll be 17 forever. Then we can get married. Time for act two. Act two starts with the man in the yellow shoes doing a shoe dance. Oh, yeah. Because every act two needs a soft shoe. Absolutely. This is something we've learned. Yeah. And this is with all the carnival buddies. With all the carnival yes. buddies. Very bizarre, but it's also very charming because Terrence Mann is, can do no wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even in a very bizarre role like this. Then, does Winnie talk with Miles? Yeah, and Miles spills the beans about his story. That's right. So Miles, act two, now that we've, we've done all this um, exposition in act one, act two kind of delves into the philosophical questions of what does it mean to live forever. So we hear from Miles, the older brother, and how he actually um, had a family, started a family with a, um, with a woman, had a kid. And then the, his, uh, his wife, his partner, the ma- mom of his kid was like, no, we got to go because this is all weird and you're not getting any older. And this is, I can't handle this. And they chose not to drink from the spring, I think. They chose not. He was like, you should drink from the spring. And they were like, no, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, I think he actually helped them choose not to. I think he wanted them to live a normal life and they said that they would just figure it out as they go. And Miles is Miles is really upset because Winnie in her disguise was wearing his son Thomas's clothes, right? Yes. yes. Like those were the that was the disguise. Yep. 
So we hear about that and Miles is uh, not very happy about that at all. Naturally, that makes sense. There's something else in here. Oh, is this is this where the man in the the man in the yellow jacket goes and finds the um, the constable? Yep. Yeah. So two worlds collide. We've had like one scene with the the man in the yellow overcoat and one scene with the constable. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and now they're meeting together. They meet at the at Winnie's house. Yeah. The man with the yellow gloves. <laughs> can I, if I find this spring that gives you mortality, can I have the can I own the forest? I don't think he even mentions it. I think he just says, can I buy your forest? Oh, yeah. fair enough. To the Fosters, because it's the Fosters forest. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. So now the forest, along with the spring, belongs to the man with the yellow mustache. And now <laughs> we everything. find ourselves. <laughs> and now we find ourselves on a fishing trip. And doesn't the man in the yellow in the yellow socks say that he um, knows where <laughs> Winnie is and is like, Holding that as ransom. Oh, that's right. I think so. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Now are we at the fishing trip? I think so. <laughs> you just—they're out of it. They're on a fishing trip. What was the next thing I remember? Paw Tuck sings a song about, about the wheel. It's the wheel. But the wheel, oh, Winnie. Right. It keeps on spinning. It's kind of a kind of an exploration of the nature of immortality and the nature of time and getting older. And, and I think he was trying to remind her about like, don't drink the spring because you need to have a life. Yes, it's a circle yeah. of life. It's actually, it hasn't been that great being um, being immortal, being a superhero. Yep. It's kind of been a drag. Oh, wait. The man in the yellow kerchief has found the tux and he's going to shoot everyone. He's got a gun. He's found Jesse. He's found Jesse. He's kidnapped Jesse. You better look out. He's got you. But then they just straight up murder the man. He takes Winnie because he realizes that there's no consequence if he kills or tries to kill the Tuck family. Doesn't Ma shoot him? She just like knocks him over the head and kills him. So that conflict's very bizarre and it's not really clear why it's in there, but then it's we're at the end. Mm-hmm. The Tucks are like we got to get moving on. Um we can't just live by this spring um forever. And Jesse's like, "Here I'm going to give here Winnie, I'm going to give you a a vial, um, a water bottle full of oh, a vial yes. of this water. Drink it when you're 17 and then I'll find you." And mom leaves the music box. It's also important, we forgot to mention throughout this show, there's been this awesome toad puppet hopping oh, around the stage. Yes. This toad's a big character. Absolutely. Hopping left, hopping right. Very charming. Love it. So Winnie goes back to her house and she's like, should I live forever? Should I not? I don't know. Here, Mr. Toad, <laughs> you live forever instead. And dumps it Here's on the toad. Dumps the water on the toad. <laughs> This is too great a burden for me to bear, but you, innocent toad, you should be immortal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a pantomimed dream ballet mm-hmm. about the rest of Winnie's life, mm-hmm. where she gets married. She has a kid. She marries Hugo. the um the deputy. And here as well, the ages. I don't know. We'll talk about the ages. I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. It's not the best thing in the world. She has a kid. They have married. They have a kid. Well, it's very funny. She goes behind. Young Winnie goes behind the um, house. Yes. And apparently, there's a da- there's a dance studio behind the house because she comes out older and, and really she can dance good all at of dancing. a sudden. Yeah. And really good at dancing. She yeah. goes behind as Princess Fiona, the younger, and comes out yeah. a young woman. <laughs> she comes out a son. So we have to. We, <laughs> yeah. We have to. We, we have to. We have to assume there's a small dance studio. In there with a sprung floor and some bars yep. and oh a, an old ballet teacher. <laughs> yep. yeah. So that goes on until we finally get to the end of Winnie's life and Winnie dies. 
Oh. And this is the reason that I've talked about a kid dying in Tuck Everlasting because Winnie does die right. in Tuck Everlasting. See, but the issue is that it's but she dies in as, as an old, an old woman. woman. Yeah. Like it's not a kid. That's the whole point. She dies having lived a yeah. full yes. life. And then the show ends with the Tucks coming back and finding Winnie's grave and being like, "Oh shit, Winnie's dead." Then the frog hops on. The yeah. toad hops on. And is like, "But I'm alive. Why don't you date me?" <laughs> is that what the, is that what the toad said? I totally missed that part. I remember that. Wasn't oh, that? Yeah. It's, it's the voice of Terrence Mann, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Back to haunt your dreams. Back to haunt your dreams. See, the thing I couldn't wrap my head around was how Jesse could recognize a toad. Like, really? I've seen many a toad in my life, or frogs mm. probably, but I don't think I've ever been like, wait, that's that That's frog? the same wait one. Wait a minute. Yeah. That's the toad that 70 years ago, <laughs> this woman that I spent a week with was best friends with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's Tuck Everlasting. Straightforward. Straight shot right down the middle. Okay. Well done. Here's a concise one. If we were going to license this, if we were, we want to do this with our own high school aged uh, theater company, what are we going to, what are we going to hear? Here is a gently more fleshed out version if you're, yeah, if you're going to license it. And this is from stageagent.com. Tuck Everlasting is based on the novel of the same name by Natalie Babbitt. It tells the story of a family who drink water from a magical spring and become immortal. When they encounter a young girl who lives in their rural New England town, she becomes friends with one of the sons, who soon offers her the secret to everlasting life. She then has to decide if she wants to join her new friends in immortality or if she will live out her normal life. Nary a mention of the man in the yellow ensemble. I was just going to bring that up. And I think that's... Is there any more context that we need? Oh, God. Before we dive into this. Let's just go. Let's just go for it. Let's talk about the book. The book, as some people may know or some people may not, is the the insider's term, the business term, <laughs> what we in the biz use to refer to the script of a musical. Yes. So that's what we're going to be discussing. And when we discuss the book, we're discussing both the actual written dialogue and we try to discuss the structure of the show as well mm-hmm. in this category. Book by Claudia Shear and Tim Fetterly. So Claudia Shear is like a performer turned writer um who also had a really popular one woman show i guess in the 90s that was like filmed for i don't know if it was pbs or something um a very talented fast talking person (laughs) and then tim fetterly (laughs) has written a lot of i believe has written a lot of like young like a ya audience books like tons of that and then also is a showrunner and creator on high school musical the musical the series (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a good gig. Good for you. Um, So both really like seasoned in their own ways. Music and vocal arrangements by Chris Miller. Lyrics by Nathan Tyson. Welcome back, Nathan Tyson from Amelie, Absolutely. the musical. <laughs> um, <Yep>. Based on <laughs> the novel Tuck Everlasting by Natalie Babbitt. And then music was orchestrated by John Clancy, who's orchestrated so many things. And then the dance music arrangements were by David Chase, also friend of the podcast. You name it, David Chase has done it. It doesn't surprise me one bit that one of the authors of this book has a TYA background. Mm-hmm. Because this book has the kind of take every joke available strategy that you usually use to keep kids engaged. Totally. There are so many bits in this book. There are every jokes, left and right, cheap mm-hmm. jokes, good jokes, bad jokes, doesn't matter, we're doing <laughs> jokes. 
That is true. I'll I'll agree with that. Yeah, and also it centers a kid, which I find yep. in TYA is really important because yes. you're, you're writing stories for kids. You got to center the kid in it because and there's some other stories as well. But I mean, Winnie's is the most important in theory. And it's nice again. Like I just go back to when I was a young twelve year, thirteen year old girl being read this book about a girl who is also melodramatic in her way and being like oh cool you think I could be the protagonist of this story that's amazing so I think there's Mm -hmm. something special about that too and knowing that there's something more there's just gotta be when you're 13 yeah okay so is she 13 or is she 11 yeah I had 13 in my head but then the song at the end of act one goes six years from now you will be 17 oh that's right so she's like 11 but I've seen 13 in a bunch of other sources as well when they talk about the story of Tuck Everlasting. I think she's older in the book, but I think okay. they made her younger in this, potentially. To match, um, to match the actress's age, maybe? Yes. You know what I think it was? Yeah. If Winnie was too old, then automatically you go to a romantic relationship. And I think they were hoping to sure. age her down as much as possible to try to space that gap out as much as possible so that it wasn't romantic. Okay, so let's talk, because you've actually directed this show, Katie, and you directed mm-hmm. it with kids, so you got into this, I'm sure, in a um, in a pretty fair way. Yes. Because it seems to me, just based on one watch and one listen, that their relationship is unquestionably romantic. I don't think it can be. I think that's what the challenge Doesn't he, is. He says, he says in the end of Act 1, I'm going to marry you. We're going to get married. I, but uh, see, that the only way that we could make it work in our hearts yeah. and in the way that we did it mm-hmm. was that it couldn't be romantic or else yeah. it's creepy as fuck. So, yeah. I'll drink, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll drink to that 300%. And I honestly can get behind that choice. Absolutely. I think it's an excellent choice. And when you look at the piece as a whole, because that's kind of what I was trying to justify on the, on my watch as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes it a much more beautiful story. That makes it much easier to swallow. You know what I yeah. mean? Oh, yeah. Because as it stands, it's a 17-year-old who's mentally over 100. Anyways, the point is, this book gives you a lot of information very quickly and then slows way down. Okay, I agree completely. That is yeah. one of the things I wrote, was that I felt like in Act 1 especially, everything was very abrupt. There wasn't a lot of pretense. There wasn't a lot yeah. of like introduction, I guess, to any person. It, it all just sort of happened in a flash. And then in act two, I was like, oh, we've really settled into sort of a nice rhythm. And there's some really beautiful scene work happening. I think a lot of the issues I have with this book in general, with the way it um, kind of shakes down, are inherent to the story. The biggest challenge I have is the, just the existence of the man in the yellow suit. Mm. Like, my, my feeling is kind of either have him actually be the villain and, like, actually be a villain and make the story kind of have him be a more important part of the story. Mm-hmm. Or get him out of there and let's actually explore mortality in a more significant way. Mm. I actually have a thought about that. So, I was a bit confused in terms of the um the tone I guess of this play specifically because obviously the story is important to young audiences but it also felt like they were maybe trying to mature it a little bit to appeal to parents right. but when you do that you actually muddy the waters a little bit and I think that because they weren't writing for like one clear specific audience it ended up being a little bit messy. And I think the man in the yellow outfit 
was <laughs> one of those casualties of that kind of like wishy-washy yeah. um, tone. I fully Because agree. if he would have, yeah, if he would have been full villain, he might have been too scary for the family audience that they were actually trying to appeal to. Right. And that only occurred to me watching the YouTube videos of opening night where like people were bringing their kids. And I was like, whoa, duh, this is a kid's show. But for me... It actually wasn't. I don't know. Yeah. Jill, that's, that's my take. That's such an excellent point. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Katie. I think he was a name, too. Yep. I honestly think they wrote him the part in the show so wow. that they could have him in there. I think they, they like, he was the one that was kind of, like, bringing in the, the peeps, I think, at that time. Or one of them, at least. Right. I'm sorry. I'm looking at it right now. Isn't the man in the yellow hats not from the um, book? No, he is He is in the book, but like... As they were adapting that character for the musical, they were like, and we'll get Terrence Mann in here to do this. Yeah. He'll be the guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. I feel a similar way about the um, the sheriff and the deputy there. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, what are you doing there? You've got like two scenes and you're just kind of goofballs. Mm-hmm. But man, that that's great for kids, right? That's right. a perfect, like you said, it's a vaudeville act. It's, it's going to play great with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And parents alike. And I think they needed a, a husband for Winnie in the end. <laughs> I think they literally yeah. needed, like, we need someone, but I don't want to make it random Joe coming in. Yeah. So let's hook it up to Hugo. Cute little Hugo. So also yes. I need to make a corrections corner because I've been saying his name wrong this entire time. Charles, and I've been saying Isherwood, but it's actually Isherwood. So my apologies, Charles, for getting your name wrong. So Charles Isherwood writes... Tuck Everlasting can sometimes be a little ham-handed in addressing its central theme, the notion that life's beauty is inseparable from its inevitable end. He's kind of getting at that same thing where it's like, we're kind of getting hit over the head with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was his hot take on the book. I do feel like it could be edited down. If we were talking this was a true TYA show, I think someone could go and chop it and make it a, like a nice, sweet, action-packed hour and 20 minutes. Yes, we love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. We love like, that. Like, cut out a couple a couple verses of the wheel, cut, you know, like, keep some of the stuff, but, like, yes. I think yeah. you could really make a sick cut of this show. So, I'll go to the grading system if we're cool. So, at Monkeys and Playbills, we have a tried and true rating system. Scientifically proven, scientifically tested. We wore our lab coats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we wager our monkeys against our playbills to find a final grading for the book. Paul, why don't you go first? Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys do you give this book? Five. Okay. So, that's four monkeys out of 10 playbills, but I'm going to add a understudy slip for jokes like, nothing's as fun as it used to be. You can say that again. Nothing as fun as it used to be. Great jokes, classic Written jokes. just for you. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So you get an understudy slip for that, bringing you up to five. Katie. I'm going to say a seven. And I will say, I will say the reason why, and these are my parameters, it's strong female leads, um, not built on the conception that these people need to fall in love. If you play it that way. Right. If you play it yeah, <laughs> with a caveat. Yeah. I don't know. It, it was a fun contemporary shot at trying to do something different. And you had a good experience with it. Did. You um, you did it with, with your kids and you guys had a we real did. nice time. And, and we made great. a really neat Greek chorus yeah. with like the ensemble and stuff. So I, I don't know. Cute. It, it, was, it was one of those heart shows that they just remember fondly. So I think I think that's why I give it a nice yeah. high, higher rating. What about you, Jill? I'm actually right in the middle. I'm a six. Sure. I actually hate the humor of this <laughs> <story>. <laughs> You can say know. that again. 
No, I can't. <laughs> no. I just, there was something about the tone that really upset me. And again, I think this is a full, this is a full thing. It's, it's about each element of this play. But because I just am so connected to this book and I have such fond memories and it just didn't play out in the same way, I think I found that hard to forget yeah. while I was yeah. watching the play. Yeah. So, That's fair as well. Yeah. But I, everyone said lines. I loved yep. act two. I actually love the way that it really, it was breathing in a way that act one did not. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, six. If they were to have made act one like act two, do you think your rating would have heightened? I think so. Uh, th- and just make the I, whole I so thing a, a meandering bit. exploration of the nature of immortality. Well, see, one or the other, though, right? Where it's like, yeah. where it's like, okay, either you really flesh out everything yeah. or you condense everything. They just need like a full another round of workshops and dramaturgy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For now, let's move on to the music and the lyrics. You can't trust a man dressed in yellow. You know? <laughs> It's like, wait a minute, what the hell is this? Why is this here? (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Miller and Tyson. Yes, let's. Oh, man. Miller and Tyson have won me over despite myself. Oh. I I try not to be one of those people who's like, all contemporary musical, bad. Musicals died with Stephen Sondheim. Unacceptable. (laughs) A lot of the time, there's a lot of contemporary musical theater songwriters who are, some of them are doing incredible work and some of them are potentially not quite doing their best work. Okay. And there's, um... Just in general, there's some composition techniques that a lot of the music being written for musical theater has gotten simpler Mm. and just less interesting to me musically. This is a wild generalization. Mm -hmm. When I heard, when I would hear songs from Tuck Everlasting here and there, my first exposure to Tuck Everlasting was playing Top of the World for um, (laughs) for an audition for someone. And I was like, ugh, what is this? Yikes. (laughs) Um, And... Exactly, exactly. At the top, at the top, at the top of the world. (laughs) Since then, getting to know Miller and Tyson a little bit more, there's no denying they are contemporary musical theater songwriters at their (laughs) contemporaryist. You know what I mean? Like, everything is all... Absolutely. Totally. One, two, three, dun, Variations on that, left and right. Or that really, like, that driving, like, dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun. You know what I mean, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, we love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or do you mean, like... Yes. Yes, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the top, at the top, top of the world. But that's it. That's exactly... Like, those kind of conventions of contemporary musical theater... Yeah that yeah. drive kind of underneath everything we're hearing right now. I would say from like 2010 onward. At least. There's traces of it far beyond that. There's um, like William Finn and Jason Robert Brown are both oh, starting sure. to do this okay, kind of stuff yeah. before then. All of this to say, despite myself, I went in ready to be like, this is just going to be a wash. This is going to be like, mm. I'm, I don't even, I'm not interested in listening to this. And it's kind of charming. It's got these soaring melodies. It's, mm-hmm. it lifts, it soars. It's maybe, it could use a few more hooks. It could use like a little, some more, some catchier choruses to really lock it in. Miller and Tyson are gentle. They're yeah. wistful. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a nice way to think about it though. Yeah. And I think this show is gentle. I think it's gentle and whimsical. And I think when it comes out of the gentleness is where it like gets jarring. Yeah. Is that it just needs to sit in that gentle zone. Yeah. 
and be okay with being like a gentle piece. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. <laughs> so overall, I like this music and a couple of them I even really love. So Katie, what did you think yeah. of the music? Um, I I think I, I was charmed with it too, the same way. Like I think there was a lot of stuff that I really loved about it. I think there's some stuff that's too long. Yeah. Um, like the wheel I think is beautiful, but I think it can be condensed. Mm-hmm. And I love the Thomas story and all of it is so important and crucial, but I do feel like somehow it could be squeezed together too. I, I love you can't trust a man for like the fun cheekiness of it, but mm-hmm. I feel like that one could like get out of there somehow. Yeah. It just doesn't it just doesn't mix with all the other stuff. There is an incredible line in You Can't Trust a Man, one of the funniest fucking lyrics I've ever heard, where it's something about the man in the yellow suit and why people are dressed in yellow are evil, which is very bizarre and you can throw that away, but it's funny. And they talk about how you can't trust a man who is fondest of suits that are jaundiced. Yes. That's so funny. What a yes. funny line. Yeah. Tyson, that's nicely like a done. Sondheim. That's a Sondheim Yeah, that's a straight lyric. up Sondheim lyric. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just I think it was very sweet and very gentle and I I loved all the storytelling in it. So I think I I, I think I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I find it catchy. Yeah. I find that it all really blends together for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you played a bit of one song, I would probably call it another. Like I just don't really know how to separate any of them from each other, which I don't know if that's a bad thing because I think, again, that goes with like they were able to find a cohesive tone for the show, which is also difficult to do. I think my favorite part about it was actually the arrangements. Mm. Like, I think that's what really fleshed out the music for me. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise I would have found it a bit like simplistic and basic, but I think the arrangements really made it for me. Like the orchestrations, you mean? Orchestrations and dance arrangements. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Mm. Dance arrangements are really nice. No surprise. David Chase is yep. awesome. This is not my favorite John Clancy orchestration. If I can nerd out for a second. What's your favorite fun home? Oh, easily. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fun home orchestration is stunning. He makes a really cool choice to take things away from being piano-centric. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like a lot of the time with contemporary musicals, they're written because they're written from piano and they sit in kind of that piano descending harmonic motion that I was just kind of playing there. And they get it, they come in here and they're like, not, not this time. This is going to be guitar and mandolin driven. It was so guitar driven, which I, I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the strings aspect. My, mm-hmm. my note would be, since we're here, I find, and since I've said something, so now I've got to back it up, in taking out the piano, there's no, they haven't replaced the middle of the orchestration with something else. Oh, sure. So it's high and it's low and it feels hollow. Right. Mm. Rather than full a lot of the time. So while I can see, I can see the logic and I admire the logic, yeah. and there's still a lot of art in this orchestration. It's yes. very artfully done. There's... No middle to it. I think there needs to be more chorus stuff in it too. If they're gonna, if if we're rewriting for an ensemble, yeah. yep. I think we need to like flesh out the ensemble a little bit, throw them in there a little bit more. Full ensemble or no ensemble? Mm-hmm. Like I want one or yeah. the other. Absolutely. I was. I I feel the exact same way. I'll echo that wholeheartedly. This kind of music is at its best when you've got these interesting vocal arrangements. The mm-hmm. kind of um. Like the um the Spring Awakening thing, the thing that Spring Awakening pioneered, where every song mm. has like five layers of people just singing. Mm-hmm. Let's get yeah. that in there. That's when this kind of music shines. Yeah. I feel like the ensemble didn't say any words. Like they just went ooh, ah, and na, na, na for most of the show. Except for, yeah, except for Partner in Crime. They like got to echo some actual words. Yeah. They do a lot of like, na, na, hey, ah, oh, ah. Yeah. It veers almost a little bit, 
Irish in a lot of ways at times, mm-hmm. just because of the oh, strings maybe, in the waltz, yeah. and because Miller and Tyson write so many waltzes, so many yeah, like yeah. Maybe it's a New Hampshire culture thing that we don't get. Maybe. All right. Out of ten playbills, how many monkeys are we given this music and lyrics? 7.5. Whoa. Yeah. It would be an 8 or an 8.5 if there was like some more hooks, if the choruses were better. Like that's what Miller and Tyson are missing to bring them into that next level. I'm so shocked. I- I'm shocked too. I did not expect that. <laughs> I expected to go on this podcast and uh, rip this apart, uh, but I-, I don't think I can. I think it's nice. Okay, Katie, what do you think? Uh, 6.75 because it needs more ensemble. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it needs to have more ensemble in it. And yeah. so I can't sit at a seven, but yeah. I'm darn close. Yeah. I'm kind of feeling the same. I was going to say 6.5. Reasonable. <laughs> That's reasonable. I don't know. I don't remember it that well. It's very mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. Like it wasn't bad. It certainly was not bad music. I mean, I'm not listening to this driving my car. Right. You know? Like, I'm not, like, popping it in to, like, listen to it as I'm driving down the street. I don't know. <laughs> That's so fun. Because I think I'm going to listen to it again tomorrow. Mm. I swear to God, and I didn't expect this. I think I'm going to listen to this again. I love this for you, Paul. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the direction and choreo. <laughs> Directed and choreographed by Casey Nicola, who has done pretty much everything. And apparently at this time that this was running, had four shows running on Broadway. So Aladdin was running Something Rotten. And then um, Casey Nicola recently did Prom. Oh yeah, co-directed Book of Mormon. uh, Did Prom recently. Mean Girls. Like, just the list goes on. Casey Nicola, so busy. Music director was Mary Mitchell Campbell, who welcomed back from Big Fish, um, who did Mean Girls as well. Yeah. So this maybe was like a Mean Girls team situation, like they got everyone back together for Mean Girls. In general, it's worth saying there's still not enough women conducting and music directing True. in the industry today. The pit's still a bit of a boys club, and it's fucking fantastic to um, see a, um, a music director doing such excellent work. Couldn't agree more. And then the associate director was Patrick Wetzel. Associate MD was Nils Peter Ankerblom. And then the associate choreographer was Stacy Todd Holt. So they they leap in this choreo a lot, hey? They're just leaping. It's called a chasse. There's a lot of like flying, like yes. flying and whooshing. Yeah. Tombays, so many tombays, yeah. so many tombays. It never ends. But like also strutting, right? I think I texted you guys this (laughs) last night when I was watching it. There's always like, they're leaning back and they're throwing one foot out and they're kind of doing Mm -hmm. their hands like I'm strutting down the street. So I guess we're talking about the choreo right now. I just... (laughs) 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 But because it's all Casey Nicola, you kind of go, oh, it's like all of his stuff. So I guess this is the perfect opportunity to just talk about everything. I think so, yeah. So other than the ensemble doing stuff, is there much else in terms of movement oh not until the ballet i feel like the ballet is like the piece dream ballet yeah the dream ballet and what a dream it is Mm -hmm. honestly it was probably my favorite part of the whole play i loved it i'm like can more shows please have dream ballets in them again bring them back (sighs) we miss that i like them they tell so much story (laughs) i had trouble with it because it was so just because it felt out of left field. Mm, right. Sure. And I feel like if you're going to start to employ that artistic language, that vocabulary, 
you've got to set it up before the last 10 minutes. And I think you can use the chorus to do that. Exactly, exactly. They can help you set it up and, and bring it in at the beginning, bring it in in the middle, and then pow at the end. So like in terms of transitions, you yeah. could actually establish that Precisely. through those earlier in the play. I see. I like that idea. That they bring the story in and carry the story through with them. I just love storytelling without words. It's yeah. like one of my favorite things. It gives us an opportunity to just start to breathe with like the people on stage. Mm-hmm. And when you're watching that, it's actually quite breathtaking and you feel so smart mm-hmm. i'm not kidding you there is something so empowering about being like i get what they're doing even though they're not saying any words when they let go of the hands and you're like got it they died i know i cried i cried <laughs> and i did not think i would cry during this musical for that reason yeah i thought i would cry because it was bad yeah <laughs> but i didn't i cried because i actually felt really connected so yay, dream ballet. For the for the listeners back at home, it's like they're holding hands, but then every time they release the hand and they move backwards, they die. Yes. What about the rest of the choreo? I, I, take it or leave it. Yeah. I don't want it, actually, if I'm being honest. Yep, I, I, I feel the same way. There's, for all the leaping in the world, <laughs> <laughs> I found myself um, feeling like, man, this is pretty goofy. And this, this ensemble is selling the shit out of it. But this mm-hmm. choreo is yeah. very bizarre. Do you think it's like the problem we had last time with Everyday Rapture, where we weren't actually sure what the purpose of the ensemble was? Jill, I was going to bring this up. Yeah, because sometimes I was like, oh, they're very useful because they are the people at the fair. Mm-hmm. But in other moments, I was like, are they even real? I don't understand their function. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why the choreo didn't make sense all the time. I wrote down, who the fuck is this ensemble? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there has to be some like, it, like if they are in the beginning, there has to be some sort of like fairy-like quality or some sort of magical quality yeah, yeah. that somehow they have to carry that through in all of the things yes. or else it just doesn't flat out make sense. Like when they go to the fair, you're like, wait a minute, you're human though now. What? Right. I don't know. So if they were perhaps manipulating the sets yes. and making things happen, yes. orchestrating the story, that actually would have been a really good function for the ensemble. Totally. Um, so Katie, as a person who has actually directed this play, yep. what, what were your thoughts and feelings on the direction? The one image that I really remembered was they had blocking that was like, it was it, it was like in a circle almost for the part when they they killed the man in the yellow suit. And I was like, wait a minute, this is so different than a lot of the other stuff that they were doing. All of this stuff was very like, um, not flat, but like, and then all of a sudden they changed it and had this like circular stuff. And I was like, where did that come from? Why isn't that in yeah. here more? I like that. <laughs> and I was no. so fascinated by it. Yeah. And I, I wish that there was like more of that because I feel like they when they got to that point right at the end, I was like, that's cool. But hit or miss for me, it was kind of plain. There was this moment as well, right at the very start when Winnie sings her uh, her first song there. Dramaturgically, it makes sense that she, she goes out of her house, but she won't leave the front yard. Yes. Like she's behind the gate. Yes. But man... The actress ends up feeling very trapped between that and yes. the costume she's in. It feels trapped and constricted. And once again, dramaturgically, it makes sense. But thinking about it, it seems to me that like the first 20 minutes of a musical, and especially like an I Want song like that, it's so important to nail that yeah. and get the audience on your side and captivated in that first 20 minutes. And even if dramaturgically, it makes sense. 
just from that purely emotional reaction standpoint, Mm -hmm. it was disappointing and hard to watch. I think they were at the mercy of certain design aspects Mm -hmm. more more often than they maybe were even aware of. There's no question of that. Yeah, like they were just tied to these anchor points that defined each scene. Whereas if we were um, dealing with an ensemble that could manipulate things and participate, we actually, there might have been more freedom in terms of where things could be. Oh, yeah. But because there was this double revolve and there was this like door and then there, the tux kitchen. And the branch that was like, (laughs) here I am. The branch. The branch. Yeah, welcome the tree, everyone. Like, yeah. I think they were at the mercy of the design a bit. And so that, yeah, that limited much of the direction. That's what I think. Let's give this a rating and let's talk about the design. Because we've been we've been dancing around this. I know we have, yeah. <laughs> Out of ten playbills, how many monkeys are we giving this direction in choreo? Four. Oh. Oh wow. <laughs> hold on, hold on. It was going okay. to be a seven, a minus an eighth for each leap. <laughs> <laughs> And that took and us down to four. you're probably at a minus five because <laughs> I think you miscounted how many leaps there were, Paul. How many leaps are there in Tuck Everlasting? Audience members, please count. Yeah, Send it to Monkeys count. and Playbills. You can win a prize. Yeah. <laughs> the prize is like when we're able to see each other again, I'll give you a high five. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Katie, what about you? Maybe a six. I mean, who might have, who might have, I don't know what they were working with. But, <laughs> but yeah, I would say maybe maybe a six. Just because I wanted more of that that one scene in, like, the whole show. Yeah. Yep. yep. I agree. Like, yep. the Dream Ballet on its own is, like, a 12 Oh, my God, yes. Like, I literally could watch that for two hours. That was stunning. But I think because of the muddiness of the function of the ensemble for the rest of the play, it really drags that down. So I'm going to be about a six and a half yep. um, for my final rating. All right. We've been bouncing around it all night. I'm sure the audience is dying to know what's going on with the design. Scenic design by Walt Spangler, who did Scandalous, A Christmas Story, and Escape to Margaritaville. Yes, 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 yes. Which I'd love to talk about someday. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Costume design by Greg Barnes, who did Something Rotten, Mean Girls, and Pretty Woman, and many other things. Lighting design by Kenneth Posner from Mean Girls as well, Pretty Woman as well, and Beetlejuice. Uh, We have sound design by the busiest sound designer ever, Brian Ronan. Absolutely. Uh, If you name it, he he did it. He designed it, yeah. (laughs) Hair design by Josh Marquette. I was hoping it would be Paul Huntley so I could have a Carolee Carmelo wig joke, but it's someone new. Uh, Makeup design by Milagros Medina Cerdera. And then the moving light programmer was David Arch. Oh, fascinating. I thought I should call attention to that because I think that was a huge part of um, the design. Mm-hmm. was yeah. the moving lights and kind of the projection stuff. So Totally. Yeah. This is a big fucking Broadway set. Oh, my God. Oh, There's so yeah. much money in this. For those of you at home, there is a revolve that also... Two. There's two revolves. It's a double, yeah. And one of them comes out of the stage in a cylinder and raises people up. Also, every scene change is on tracks. Mm-hmm. The toad included. The toad <laughs> the included. On a track. The toad. Yeah. Love it. It is a, a set that rivals freaking Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. It is oh, yeah. a much more extravagant set 
than we've seen for many more extravagant musicals than this mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. this podcast. It is definitely a surprisingly extravagant set for such a intimate story. Does anyone know how much it actually cost? Not a clue. I think it might have been like around a buttload. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like <laughs> Somewhere between a lot and a billion. It was a lot. And for such a, like you said, like for such a, a simplistic story that doesn't have like nine billion different scenes, like it all took place in the forest. And yes, there's a house and yes, there's another house, but like it's all in the forest. It's the same forest and everything happens in the same place. So like the amount of changes and stuff was extravagant. Like, yeah, there was just too much stuff. They just kept trying to add, they just added things when they were like, oh, I don't think it's clear that we're in the tux house cottage mm. thing so let's mm. add a kitchen a full kitchen i will say like the the tech is cool oh yeah mm -hmm. things like revolves and tracks are a type of theater magic that i'll never quite get tired of mm -hmm. it's such a maybe it's a bit of a cheat because it's you know it's involving machinery and the live performing arts thing but mm -hmm. i don't know i, don't I think know. there's something like really it. like, like them. nice about yeah. it Absolutely. it can be smooth it can be smooth mm -hmm. and really cool yeah. if it's used properly my biggest problem with the set was that it just didn't match the world that I had created in my head when I'd read the book. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know. It just, it felt really like, it, everything felt like it was cut out using construction paper. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't think that's wrong. Like, I think that's a great creative choice, but I just don't think it was correct as far as what I had been picturing. Mm. See, I just felt like it was too much. I just, I like, I love, like, because it's such a simple story, I just wanted it to be, like, simple, and everything that came in, I feel like it was, like, if someone, having done a lot of, like, fringe shows that you scrounge for everything, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you're yes. literally like, I have a chair that I use all the time, yes. we can use that, and it's all of a sudden like, hey, Katie, do a fringe show, we're just gonna give you $10,000 to do it, and yep. then I just use every freaking penny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. This is what I was going to ask, Katie. I happen to know for a fact that JMTC's production budget is less than a buttload. Yeah. <laughs> so how did, you, how did you solve for some of these many locations that were um, going on? We did it so simply. We had some, we had some like risers in the back that were Winnie's house. Um, we had some like really beautiful flats that came in as the tax house and created like a space for the tax house. Perfect. And then we rented the U of W, um, theater, like the Asper, um, theater there. Yeah, and great. they, um, allowed us to build a tree kind of in the corner yes. off of their, their catwalk. And, yeah. um, Aaron, who's great. the, yeah. Aaron yeah. Frost. Aaron, Frost, Aaron yeah. Frost built us this beautiful tree that the kids were able to climb up in and they had the time of their life being able to stand in a freaking tree at the front of the stage so it was really simple and it, and it was nice. cry. Aaron Frost is the carpentry prop and master carpenter at the University of Winnipeg uh, theater program yeah. he's a wonderful man if he's listening right now hello good to see you Aaron I hope you're doing well <laughs> oh, he also made us some trees too and they were oh, beautiful like dream. just like hanging trees so, just nice flat trees they were beautiful a true true oh. friend of Winnipeg's theater community yeah. incredible dude oh see yeah. but that's the production I want Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know and it's so story focused you don't need yes. the extra stuff like it was so it was it's so story centric so you just need to focus on the people telling the story that's that's absolutely how I feel this is very much like a man they went more is more on this rather yeah. than um Rather than trusting. Trusting a really nice score and a, 
you know, as we discussed, a book that's not perfect by any means, but <laughs> you're already in on this show. Just be in on this show, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, what did y'all think about the costumes? I'm I'm judging by the <laughs> silence that we just sort of didn't really notice them. Like, we weren't, they weren't really top of mind. I liked Winnie's green in the contrast with her beautiful red hair. Love that. The ensemble, I, I was kind of like, okay, so you're trying to give us a period-ish with yeah. the style. Right. But I, I, yeah, I think I was just, I, I didn't find the reason for, for, for it. But even so, they were actually kind of dressed a little bit Regency. Like they kind of looked yes. like late 1700s yeah, 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 England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, I thought we were in the late 1800s. Like yeah. it just felt... A little bit m- muddy. Or like the other thing at the top, when they're at the top and they're all in the white and like the white um, tails yeah. and everything was like like Hamilton kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> in a similar vein, I wrote down the same joke that we used for Jeremy Jordan in um, Bonnie and Clyde, which is, Andrew Keenan and Bolger, you forgot to get changed. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you're, still in your, you're still in your Newsies costume. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Change, you, totally you got to wear in Tuck Everlasting yeah, now. It's, <laughs> It's yeah. the same. That's yeah. so true. <laughs> All right, folks. Yeah. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are we giving this design? I feel bad because judging the design on its own, there's no doubt. There's a lot of, I like a big old Broadway show and a big old Broadway set. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I was just judging it on its own, I don't know. This is like an eight. They're freaking flying in the air and they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're rotating. It's great. But... Like anything, everything in a, the reason we do musical theater is not to show off these technical elements. If we were doing mm-hmm. that, we would go do like Cirque du Soleil or something, which right. is great and fantastic. I love Cirque du Soleil. We serve the story in theater first and foremost. And man, this design does not serve the story. So I'm going to go five. I can't give a design that's executed this well any lower than that. Yeah. But I can't go any higher than that in good conscience. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think, like, just just on the reason that it's too much for me. Like, I think it was beautiful. I think there was a lot of really awesome stuff in there. It was gorgeous. It was vibrant. It was, like, uh, captivating to the eye. But I just mm-hmm. thought it was, like, too much. And I wanted to focus more on the people that were doing the thing. And so I think I'm a 5'2 just for that reason. Although I'm a little jealous of the budget. And I wouldn't mind <laughs> doing it with right? that kind of budget. <laughs> but, yes, I'm a 5 as well. I sit wow. right, right in the middle. Is that the first ever consensus with a guest? I Three think person consensus? so. I wow, think wow, it wow. might be. There may be one other time where we might have agreed. Oh. <laughs> Daphne, but. Be, Daphne, be sure to be sure to cut in like a, a nice sound effect there for like that's a that's a special event. Yeah, I'll leave it up to you. you, you, you can decide. It's your choice. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you for your notes. Yeah. <laughs> preemptive notes. <laughs> Speaking of notes, should we get into the performances? Oh, I would love to. So here we go. Who do we love? Everyone? Okay, cool. Me too. <laughs> so I did not know that Carolee was in this. So we started the show and she made her first appearance on stage. And I was like, geez, that mom. She's like, she's got to be straight out of fun home or something, right? She's just incredible. Listen to that voice. And then she sang a bit more and I was like, what? You didn't what? know, Paul. It's her. It's her. I didn't know going in. What a magnificent surprise. I wish I could have seen this play not knowing that it was Carolee Carmelo. It was a good day. <laughs> so we can all agree we love her and her wig. Carolee, you forgot to change your wig from Parade. Take it off. Change. <laughs> okay, but this is actually what I want to say. 
<laughs> I, I was on YouTube today. I realized that maybe I've been complimenting Carolee Carmelo's wigs, not realizing it might actually be her hair. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <gasps> because unless she wears wigs just in life, which again, no, that is not a judgment. This is like, a, oh, maybe she just is a wig person. But like on the red carpet, her hair looked perfect to me. It was like curled beautifully. It was like a rich sort of like reddish, like an auburn color. And I was like, wait a second. Have I been thinking this entire time she's been wigged, but it might just be her hair. Do people like on Broadway wear their just their real hair? Some people. So I want to write to Carolee Carmelo, but I'm not sure that she will write back. Katie, do you have any experience with people in this show not writing you back? (laughs) I Instagrammed Andrew Keenan Boulder <laughs> to say, hey, guess what? We're doing the Canadian premiere. Yeah. yeah. And I had these two, like, just killer new artists coming in, doing the role that he did. And so I was like, do you have any, any like, fun words or anything special yes. that you, like, could, could gift them that I could bring to them and say, hey, guess what? Nothing. Radio silence. And I was like, come on. Because... I feel like everyone is human. Everyone's going to respond. And I guess maybe maybe his uh, publicist or whoever is doing his Insta didn't see my message. I was going to say, I'd be I'd be surprised if that message actually got through to him. You know what I mean? (sighs) And that's I'll give him I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he posts a lot. (laughs) He posts a lot on his Insta. (laughs) He makes all these web series as well, right? He's got a talk about a guy who has made his career Mm -hmm. off of um, the Internet. Mm hmm. Um, so do we like Andrew Keenan Bolger? Do we like his performance? I like it a lot. I think it's very charming. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm laughing because Jill did that thing of like, oh, you said something I don't agree with. Isn't that nice? That's cool that you think that. That's cool that you're wrong. That's exciting that you're wrong. Enough now to know that that about me. No, I actually I don't disagree. I think he's quite charming. I think before we recorded, I knew he didn't reply to Katie, so I'm carrying that with me. Because <laughs> that's my friend, and you really hurt my friend. Disappointed. You know what? I He reminded me of a young Mickey Rooney. Like, oh, a, yeah, like just like this yeah, yeah. sweet, charming, like, goofy, and I, I have like a very soft spot for Mickey Rooney, and I saw him, and I was like, I'm in. That's a really great comparison. Yeah. I think that's adorable. Yeah. My second favorite performer was actually the other brother, Robert Lindsay. Um, Miles. Oh, yeah. Miles. And I don't know what it was because there was something about him. Like he was the most reasonable person, like character in the play. <laughs> yeah. Where I was like, oh, I identify with you. Like you're all logic. And I get that. Yeah. But I also thought his singing voice was really beautiful. Um, and then I was reading his bio, and apparently he was the understudy for Joseph Cable in South Pacific. And I was like, oh, that makes really good sense. And I would have liked to have mm-hmm. seen that. I would have liked to see that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But what do we think of Sarah Charles Lewis? This show kind of lives and dies with her. I love her. Tens, tens, tens across the board. Absolutely. Yep. Like all of her thoughts were right there and she just went with every single one of them. Like there wasn't a moment where she dropped the ball. And a beautiful voice, a crystal clear, um, seeing it like it was written for her. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man. And I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole about her last night because I was like, man, he hasn't done anything else. 
And um, there's all sorts of cute stuff about how like her her class, her school class, like through her through through her uh, happy Broadway party or something like that, or oh. go have fun on Broadway kind oh of thing. Oh my and... gosh. What if they were all really bitter and they were doing, <laughs> yeah, go have fun party. on Broadway. Like <laughs> We're over here eating cake, <laughs> loser. <laughs> and then I also want to call attention to the detective duo. Oh, yeah. And I believe it's revealed that they're father and son, right? Yes. Yes. At the end, there's just a little, little button where he's like, you're good, son. Yeah. It's cute. And I quite like them. I don't know what it was, but I'm a sucker for that sort of simple silly comedic exchange and they were very sweet together i thought the um hugo especially it's a uh, michael wartella yeah i thought he was very funny and very charming yeah what about the rest of our main cast here so carolee carmelo as maytuck so there's a couple other people there's the dad from dear evan hansen and there is terrence man terrence man carolee carmelo is like fine <laughs> as always Content-wise, I really, I take some issue with her song. She sings this song about how a woman always remembers the day she was most beautiful. And it's kind of got this element of like, oh, as you age, you get less beautiful. And it's this weird thing. But man, in her hands, she finds something emotionally resonant and beautiful within it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, man, you have taken these lyrics which are frustrating and you've brought something beautiful out of it. Mm-hmm. Of just a beautiful love song between her and her husband. How frustrating to be stuck on the time that you're not the most beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, could she not have been stopped at 26? <laughs> like, man. Yeah. Oh <laughs> like, just gosh. constantly like, I can't fix this. This is it. Oh. <laughs> but she looks bomb though she looks so good she looks amazing so i'm like wait are you telling me you were prettier than that at some point (laughs) yeah shut up shut up carolee (laughs) we got michael park that's his name as a paw tuck there yeah angus he's good he's a reliable performer absolutely he's a workhorse yep he's great and we've got the legendary terrence man (laughs) so okay did i read this correctly that he was like javert Terrence Mann is the original Javert, yeah. Or the original Broadway Javert. And now he's the man dressed in yellow. And I believe the original Broadway Rum Tum Tugger? Stop! He's the original Beast as well, right? The original Broadway Beast. Oh, he's done everything. He's had an outstanding career. I saw him live. I didn't realize this. I saw him in Pippin. And he was Charles. Oh, it was incredible. It was outstanding. Other than, like, Andrea Martin and Patina, who were the standouts, Mm -hmm. Terrence Mann was my favorite. Wars of Science was incredible. It was so good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah, Beast. Just an outstanding career. Um, I've been, during quarantine, one of the shows that I've kind of gone to and I don't have anything else to watch is I'm watching through Sense8, that, uh, that, the Wachowski sisters show, Sense8. Okay. He's, it, it's good. He's in that. That's the end of the story. He's oh. good in that. Great, great. <laughs> when we were watching this shitty bootleg, I was like, wait a minute, I recognize that combination of white beard and really teeny tiny glasses because yeah. it's the exact yeah. same thing he's sporting on Sense8. And I was like, boom, called oh, it. I know him from nothing oh, else. so funny. Okay, we also need to just call attention to the ensemble because they do it. They do everything that they're asked to do oh, yeah. without even making fun of it once. Absolutely. And I want more. No, just in, just in general, I love this cast. I'm like, it's a shame this show closed because this cast has chemistry. Yeah. They're fun. They're working hard. I'd like to imagine in my heart of hearts that this chemistry 
was brought from a real camaraderie within the cast. That this was mm-hmm. a really nice working environment. Oh, that's a nice thought. Everyone seems really nice to each other and it seems like a really positive environment that led to, even as we've discussed, the show has a lot of problems here and there. Yeah. So I saw this and I'm like, oh, I bet they went to dinner before this and they had a nice time. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Cute. Yeah. The, um, we talked about the dance school that's behind the house. <laughs> You mean you talked about the dance school, yeah, we agreed, yeah. but yes. I also thought about, like, on a practical level, because during the during the dream ballet, um, they keep on going behind the house, mm-hmm. and then, like, it's that's where how Winnie ages, and a new person comes out. What do you think it must have looked like behind that house on stage, with, like, ten cast members all crouched? There was an ASM back yeah. there, <laughs> there was an giving ASM. everyone yeah. the prop or costume piece they needed to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> Giving them yeah, the boy, go. Yeah. Finger finger to yeah. the mouth. And then yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There was a very wonderful yeah. ASM yeah, back counting down. That's what I think. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they also got invited to dinner and they had time Aww. to eat their half of their entree before they had to go do their props preset. There's water bottle handoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the stuff we love. I would love a camera. Yeah back there oh yeah Yeah. i would love for people like audience members to just understand the scope of what stage managers assistant stage managers crew like the things that they do behind the scenes okay now we can rate these performances all right out of 10 playbills how many monkeys are we giving these performances 8.5 okay yeah 8.5 other than carolee there's nothing that like takes my breath away you just love her so much i just love her so much um just that voice just effortless and it's just enormous best voice in the world easily everyone is great there's no one who i'm like man that's a drag and even terrence mann where his character is written in such a weird way and has served such a weird function he's having the time of his life and i'm there with him you know mm-hmm. what about you german i think i'm a nine I think I love them. I love them all and I'm I'm happy with what they do and and I'm excited that I get to see it sort of. I just wanted more and and that's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I'm at a 9 as well because I also think things would have settled even more had they had the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, if they would have had the luxury of a longer run, things would have really fallen into place nicely. So, yeah, 9 for me. Yay, good job performances. Okay, that's the show. Should we talk about the Tonys? Let's talk about the Tonys and let's see if we can figure out why this show closed so soon. Okay, welcome to the 70th Tony Awards. It was on June 12th, 2016, and it was hosted by my least favorite late night person, James Corden. I was just talking about how much I disliked James Corden earlier tonight. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah. So I'm not alone. So this was the Tony year. Like, this was Waitress, this was Hamilton, this was Shuffle Along, this was American Psycho, School of Rock. So this was the year, and and I'm pretty sure that since this year, we've never seen this many original musicals, but there were 11 original musicals that Mm -hmm. season. Wow, Mm -hmm. wow, wow. Yeah, and five revivals. So this was the Color Purple year, this was the She Loves Me revival Mm -hmm. year. This is the Fiddler. Spring Awakening revival. Death West Spring Awakening. I mean, it was just... Busy, a busy and full year for Broadway. This is an absurd year. Yeah. And so it is not surprising that this show might have flown under the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
I think because it's a young show too. Like it's it was built for like younger audiences, and I don't think younger audience shows do well on Broadway. You're right. They don't tend to look at Suzical. Look at like even Matilda took some time to kind of like gain its traction. Like I don't when they build them as for young audiences, and I think that's probably why they had like more of the older stuff in there too to see if they could like bump up those ticket sales. Yep. The other important thing, and you just mentioned this, Katie is Matilda. Matilda was still up at this point. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. It would have been still running. And so was siphoning off that audience as a more mm-hmm. well-known yeah. property. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, a better musical. Even though I Matilda's got a lot of trouble. I don't love, love, love mm-hmm. Matilda. Mm-hmm. But I think it functions better than this a little bit. I think it's got a bit more flash. Yeah, the more flash. Exactly. Yeah, 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 definitely more flash. So Tuck Everlasting was nominated for one Tony Award. Does anyone want to guess what that was? I- I'm, I'm toss-up between music or best supporting... Mm. Uh, 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 music. I'll say music. They were nominated for best costume design of a musical. What? That's insane to me. I, I feel like the costume is like my the least favorite part of the show for me. I know. Oh, they didn't perform. No. Mm. So um the the eligibility closed, I think, early May or end of April, and then they announced early May, and then this must have posted closing not long after that right that they found out they only had one nomination and so they closed at the end of may so in terms of the timeline it's really disappointing how much of this show really hinged on on tony nominations Mm -hmm. i think there's no question they got shut out of a few categories here even if we can't put them in best musical man there should have been a place for them somewhere yeah. In leading uh, in the performance categories. Mm-hmm. There's some nice performances here. Yeah. So yeah, that's what was happening that year. And we've done a few episodes where we've talked about the 70th Tony Awards. So um, a little more in depth. So if you want to go back and listen to the American Psycho episode, I think we did a, a bit more on that Tony year then. This is a good Tony Awards. It was a good Tony's. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's make some choices. Should this be a musical? I say no. I say this is a bizarre story that in trying to explore immortality instead raises confusing and um, difficult to parse questions about the nature of appropriate age relationships. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Even more than that, I'm not sure there's enough forward momentum to actually make this a musical. At least it stands right now. Maybe you can turn it into a one-act TYA. Yeah. Especially if it's a one-act TYA where you make it very clear that these are buds. Something like a bridge to Terabithia. As it stands right now, I don't. I think that this team and this cast could have been used better to create something, a different story. Mm-hmm. Katie, what do you think? I think, I mean, I keep saying it, but if it was, if it was scaled back and if they like solidified some of the things a little bit more, I think it could um, have a special place in the the world. But as it exists currently, I think... It, it, it was trying to do too much, maybe. And so I think for that reason, maybe not. But I do think, uh, like, for a contemporary, like, shot at a gentle musical, it's kind of nice. Like, it's not about flash and flare and all of the mm. all the buttons and whistles and all the things. It's just about, like, the story, and I really appreciate that. And I love I love how they there were points in the time that they just relaxed into that gentle story. And so I think for that reason, if they could isolate that and, like, hone that, I think it, it could have a special place. I believe that it could be a one act or a ballet Mm. like or a dance show 
as we were talking, I thought, where is Tuck Everlasting the ballet? Mm. Yeah, like like a movement piece. I just think that it could be really beautiful. I mean, we all loved the last, you know, eight minutes of the play when it was the dance sequence. Mm-hmm. And do we love it because it was like just a small part of the, the show? Or did we love it because of what that type of storytelling? Like I said, I loved it less because it was just a small part of the show. Mm, I would rather have had that vocabulary a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think maybe this story could be told on stage just, yeah, maybe in a a slightly different way. So either a one-act version of this musical or a dance piece. That's my vote. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we've made our (laughs) arguments. We've discussed. The time has come. Once again, we have to make a decision. Is this a total flop? Is this a secret bop? Or is this so bad we need to make it stop? Flop is the easiest one to understand. It's basically, there was something in this show that is just not functioning. This show is salvageable, but as it stands right now, it's a no-go. Secret bop is, wow, this show's actually great. Um, Something else happened to make it um, not be able to crack 100, but this show is the real deal. Or make it stop is, and make it stop is, this show should never see the light of day again. Okay, I think secret bop because... Paul's love for the musical and the music makes him want to listen to the CD tomorrow. And I think... (laughs) Shit, you can't argue with that. I think for that reason, there's something special in it, something that makes it a bit of a secret reason why it needed to happen. I received that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say total flop, but there is potential here. Yeah. There is this show just needs some more work. It yeah. needs another workshop. Like I, like we said, there's so much good stuff here. I just wish this wasn't Tuck Everlasting. I just, I like the texture. I like the <laughs> musical textures. I'm going to listen to it again <laughs> because I think that Tyson and uh, Miller are an interesting composing team and I want to learn more about them. I wish that wasn't the story we're telling. As a child who had a lot of existential crises, I identify <laughs> deeply with this material. But, okay. I think this Broadway production was a flop. I think based on our conversation tonight, I would love to see a a more pared down version. Yeah. One that really just lets the story and the music do their thing. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had some laughs. We've had some cheers. We've had some fun. (laughs) We've had some disagreements, but we're all still friends. I hope so. I hope so. Well, we'll see. We'll, We'll talk. No. For now... I'm going to thank Katie German for being an incredible guest, for coming yes, on. Yes, thank you thank so you for being much. Here. Thanks for having me on. This was so much fun. I loved it. This was so good. <laughs> for now, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. You mother tuckers, let us know how many times we made that joke. <laughs> I think that was number two only. Why would you? Don't say it. I just said. <laughs> remember, they get a prize. They get a prize. It's okay, it's okay. Produ- Producer Daphne's going to bleep it out. It's Everyone write no, in. Bleep it out. <laughs> yeah. Everyone write in. Let us know you get a secret prize if you tell us how many times we said Mother Tucker's on this show. Paul, we don't have that many high fives. <laughs> <laughs> we have a finite supply of high fives. What's a high five? A high five is when you slap the palm of your hand oh, against oh, someone, oh. Else, the palm of someone else's hand, Katie. <laughs> I thought there was like a physical thing you get. <laughs> It is. It's a it's a slap between two palms. A- We've literally not touched each other for so long that we forget what a high five is. Yeah, I think it's pr- pronounced hoog. I can get a hoog. <laughs> <laughs> hoog. Wow, what a joy! Love you all, especially now in a time of 
Um, once again, a time of isolation, which is a struggle for us all. Please reach out. The point of this podcast is to recapture a little bit of that community um, that Winnipeg and Canada's theater community um, has had in droves. So thank you for helping us keep it alive. Stay well, y'all. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening, and join us next week where we take on Escape to Margaritaville.